dressmaker seems to speak differently to me than the word seamstress. Almost as if I think a dressmaker is someone who sews for herself, but a seamstress sews for other people. Um, historically, I'm not sure that's true. Um, but in the case of a woman named Anne Lowe, it seems to be. I'm Deborah Mobis from Whipstitch, and on this episode of the Whipstitch podcast, we're meeting Anne Lowe, a great woman of sewing. Thanks for listening. Wedding dresses are iconic, kind of by their very nature. The bridal gown is a garment whose sole purpose is to carry a human being across the boundary between one identity and another. People put a lot of weight on the wedding gown, embedding a great deal of meaning into each seam. Marriage is a sacrament, an outward sign of an inward transformation that in every culture worldwide stands as a unique bond between individuals, a leap of faith that the future will hold ultimately joy and reward. We hold weddings in public, not because we need the approval of others, but because the public nature of a wedding brings to this delicate, intimate bond formed between bride and groom, the weight of consequence it gives it this gravitas. The bridal gown is an outward signifier of all these invisible truths, so it holds this unique place in culture as a result. So when I think about the iconic wedding gown that Jacqueline Bouvier wore on the day that she married John Fitzgerald Kennedy, that gown is infamous. It didn't, it wasn't just about their wedding, their wedding day. It wasn't just about the identity of the bride. Um, even on the day that it happened, but certainly not now, looking back. Um, now it carries the tragedy of the lives that were tied together that afternoon. The scandal of the story that has become indivisible from from the people who were in these photographs of that amazing dress. What I didn't know until a couple of years ago is that the dress was designed by a woman named Ann Lowe. Um, Ann Lowe was born in Clayton, Alabama in 1898. Um, I grew up in Alabama, so anytime I see that someone is from there, I instantly feel a sense of curiosity and kinship. So I, I researched her as part of our Great Women in Sewing series on the Whipstitch blog, one of my favorite series to do, even though the writing a post for that series is enormously time-consuming. It's just a lot of research and fact-checking. I learned that Anne Lowe, her mother was a dressmaker, and her mom died suddenly when Anne was 16 years old. She's still in high school. Her mother is running a business as a dressmaker, so Anne takes over. She finishes all of her mother's existing orders on time, including in 1914, the year this took place, a commission from the first lady of Alabama, the governor's wife, not wanting to let down her mother's clients. She had learned early. She always paid attention to what her mom was doing. That's very clear from the body of work she produced. And um, the story is that she loved making fabric flowers and embellishing dresses with them. So when you look historically through this catalog of her garments uh, 
Fabric flowers is this design element that appears again and again throughout the body of her later work. She was, at a young age, talented enough to be accepted at a very prestigious design school in New York City. She was 19. Um, She was frequently held up as an example of good technique to all of her classmates, every one of whom was white. She was the only black student there. And as the only black student there, she was given a separate space in which to sit and to work apart from the other designers. It was irrelevant that she was clearly the best among them because she was always held up as the, the standard to which the rest of them should aspire. And I think about that a lot. I think about this woman who before World War I leaves this tiny town. I've never even heard of this town. This tiny town in Alabama to hedge the Big Apple and knew ahead of time she would be intentionally segregated from the other students, but was still driven to attend all the same. She must have really, really wanted to learn to be willing to subject herself to those circumstances. Which is not to say that Anne Lowe was more than human or that she was a saint. Not at all. By all accounts, she was a very poor businesswoman. I mean, everybody who talks about her says she just, this was not her, she wasn't great at it. More than one historian has used the word snob to describe her. She is regularly quoted as saying, I love my clothes and I'm particular about who wears them. I am not interested in sewing for social climbers. I do not cater to Mary and Sue. I sew for the families of the social register. Now, the social register was a literal thing. It was like, if you're old enough to remember when they used to do who's who of American high school students, who's who of American college students, the social register was like that, but it was based on social and economic status, your class, really. And people could literally be in this handbook of the haves, you know, the ones who were considered pedigreed, but, you know, humans. Um, So I wonder if that bent toward the American aristocracy that Anne Lowe seems to demonstrate came from her bootstrapping youth, her knowledge that these people in power could hold the key to her livelihood, less that it was about her aspiring a snobbishness that came from a sense of aspiration, but rather a recognition that, that these people had money and influence and could make or break her business. But it also made her overlook some sound business principles um, that could have created a viable income stream from her talent, which by all accounts was formidable. She designed for the elite of the main line, the the train system that ran between New York and Philadelphia and was one of the primary means of transportation for the social elite. Wealthy families with political connections, those are the people who bought her designs. She made unique gowns for debutantes, for governor's wives. She designed and constructed the gown in which Olivia de Havilland collected her Oscar for the snake pit. Olivia de Havilland, who famously plays Melanie in Gone with the Wind, but later wins an Oscar for the Snake Pit in a gown you have got to see, 1947, absolutely incredible. After all of that, Anne Lowe, by all accounts, dies penniless, largely uncelebrated. The most famous story about her is the one from the Kennedy wedding. Making all those debutante dresses along the main line connects Anne Lowe to some pretty highfalutin folk. One of those, Janet Lee Bouvier, 
came from an old Southern family and had a daughter who was set to marry the junior senator from Massachusetts in a lavish Newport wedding. And lavish is like, (laughs) it is hard to overstate this wedding if you've never seen the photographs of of Jackie and JFK's wedding. Man, y'all, that is some fairy tale stuff. Um, The dress may not have even been what Jacqueline Bouvier wanted for her wedding day. She was Cinderella. This is her wedding day. Even in the years before weddings were what they are now, right? Like these days that there's a lot of bridezilla stuff out there. Um, in, in the circumstances of Jackie and JFK's wedding, she was Cinderella, but it was Joe Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's father, who had the final say on the bridal gown. Um, he was paying for a lot of it. I mean, not all of it because Jackie came from money as well. But he was insistent that this gown would be elaborate, um, it ended up being made of the finest silk available. It has trapunto detailing that builds up this three-dimensional extravagance that surrounds the bridal couple as they walk down the aisle. It is a meringue, a confection of a dress that has substance and three-dimensionality that has this enormous skirt that accentuates Jack and Jacqueline Bouvier's tiny waist. It has gathers and pleats and just amazing detailing. The whole nine yards. Many more than nine yards. Um, Anne Lowe labored over this dress for weeks leading up to the, the wedding day. Obviously, of course she did. But just hours before she's scheduled to deliver it to Newport for the ceremony, disaster strikes. Her studio gets flooded. The bridesmaids' dresses she was also commissioned to sew and this indulgent gown are completely destroyed. So what is she gonna do? Losing this commission could mean losing her entire business, her reputation, her connections to these social elites. So Anne Lowe bites the bullet. She repurchases all the fabric with her own money. She hires additional seamstresses and they replicate the labor in a matter of hours that it had taken weeks to create. And then she shows up to deliver these dresses on time. And this is where, I mean, as if it's not an amazing story already. This is where the details of the story all agree, but didn't make sense to me for a while. When Anne Lowe arrives on the doorstep to deliver these gowns, carrying a loss of nearly $2,953 in her arms, money that came from her own pocket, She was told to go around back and use the colored entrance. Her reply, according to every report I can find, if she had to use the back door, quote, I'll take the dresses back. And she walked right in through the main door. So I've read that quote over and over, and I loved it every time I read it. I assume every other writer did as well. It's the statement of a woman who has had it with the garbage, isn't going to take it anymore. It is enormously quotable and shows up in almost anything written about Anne Lowe. But somehow, for me, the more I thought about it, it didn't track with the other details of her story. She's a snob, right? So she admires the social set. But she can't belong to it because she's black. And she definitely knows that because when she was in design school, they made her sit apart. She won't use the back door, so she's clearly proud but she spent her own money on the dresses in order to maintain her connection to these very families. So 
let's go through some details of the remainder of the wedding day and just like kind of put that dichotomy in the back of your head for a little bit. Anne delivers the dresses. They're a smash. Everybody loves them. The Kennedy wedding is often referred to as the most photographed wedding in American history. The dress that she made for Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy is now on display in the Smithsonian Museum of American History. And the story goes that when asked to design her gown by Life magazine, Jackie replied, quote, a color designer did it. So again, by all accounts, people who were there reported that Anne Lowe was crushed. And I mean, I would have been. This is her moment. And the bride, who already has everything, erases her from the story. So when I think about the woman who wouldn't use the back door, I wonder why she bothered at all. These families talked about Anlo as the best kept secret, but a woman who refuses to go in the back doesn't want to be a secret, right? So I wonder if Anlo believed that her sacrifice to deliver those gowns was the moment when it would all pay off for her. That refusing to use the back door was a sign that she believed she'd achieved real success and recognition. Understandably, everyone believed JFK was going to run for president, him or one of his older brothers. Everyone knew who Jacqueline Bouvier was and her family. Making these gowns was a very big deal. It's understandable that Anne Lowe would have believed she had at last made it. Had she been white, I have no doubt that would have been the case. But again and again, Anne Lowe's designs have been minimized or eliminated from the history books. Lists of dresses worn by Oscar winners, for example, cite the designer of Olivia de Havilland's 1947 dress when she won the Oscar for the snake pit. The designer's name is listed as unknown. In 1961, years after the Kennedy wedding, Anne and her team hand-beaded dozens of gowns in a Saks Fifth Avenue commission for a fraternity in Nebraska. Not like a college fraternity, but like a, you know, like they wear a fez on their head kind of fraternity. Um, She made those at a significant financial loss. She was never given credit for her work, nor did she even break even financially. Later, Jackie Kennedy makes a comment to the press that Anne Lowe felt minimized her. And she wrote a letter to the First Lady and let her know. The story is that eventually they reconciled. They worked together for years. But my instincts tell me, my gut tells me, that Anne Lowe never forgot that on the chance of her big break, she was reduced to the color of her skin and not to the skill of her needle. Today, Anne Lowe is recognized not simply for being the first major black dress designer with a fashion house on Madison Avenue, but for her bold designs. She has touched American history. Her gowns are on display in the Museum of American History, the Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Her skill with fabric flowers, you guys, oh, I hope you'll look her up. It is jaw-dropping what she can do. She attended Paris Fashion Week in the 40s, met Christian Dior there, who hailed her skill. Dior. Dior thought she was amazing. She was named Couturier of the Year in 1961, which, 
ironically, included the honor of naming her to the social register for whom she sewed. You don't have to watch a lot of Hepburn films, Grace Kelly movies, to understand just how enormous a thing that was to achieve for anybody. And then in 1963, she was forced to declare bankruptcy. There are biographies written about Anne Lowe. There are children's books about her. Julia Faye Smith wrote one called Something to Prove, uh, subtitled A Biography of Anne Lowe, America's Forgotten Designer. And in a lot of them, the story of Anne Lowe is reduced to one of resilience, which it certainly is. This is a woman who should, by all accounts, have fallen apart, never gotten back up. I mean, I'm the town she's from in Alabama is so tiny that I have never heard of it, and I lived there from the age of four. It is not a big state. Everyone you know knows everyone you know, right? This was a tiny town she was from. Her mother died when she was 16. She didn't have a penny to her name. She could have and should have given up then and there. But here I am talking about her a hundred years later, talking about the skill she had with a needle, sharing her creations, talking about them being in the foremost museum of American culture in the world. She was a black woman working for white elites in a white-dominated industry, and she was revered by everybody who enjoyed her work, including her esteemed peers. Even her bankruptcy didn't ruin her, which is amazing. An anonymous donor, and the rumor is that it was Jackie Kennedy Onassis herself, paid off her debt in 1963, which enabled her to continue designing into her late 90s, despite the fact that her eyesight and hearing were beginning to fail. So most articles either celebrate that Anne Lowe overcame circumstances, or they bemoan that she was given so little credit. Much of the writing about her has been over the last few years, like more than 90% of the information available has been published in the last three years, based on the effects of a single viral tweet, which makes this a story of a woman who could and should have been given more attention, but for the lack of financial resources to get it. She certainly had the skills. She had her start in the industry. She lacked solid financial advice and bookkeeping to maintain the momentum of her successes. It's beyond argument that the color of her skin prevented her from accessing the resources that could have allowed her to turn her own moxie into an empire. Without those, she was constantly struggling, despite her talent. There's a whole, there's a whole long list of black designers who created real art with their needles, and their names were forgotten or glossed over, even erased on purpose, so the credit would go to somebody else. That happens to non-black designers, too to be sure, but I would like to ask you to consider. Does it happen more to black designers because the ones doing the erasing think it doesn't count? Or that black designers won't speak up? Or that they can get away with it because who's going to believe a color designer made that, quote unquote? Is it easier to erase someone when they don't have the status of fully human in your mind? Anne Lowe was talented and admired She created art with fabric. She used it to build iconic works of fashion that we revere to this day. And I believe in her own way, Anne forged ahead through racism and elitism to gain ground for herself and the other black designers who came after her, which is why I consider her a great woman of sewing. (laughs) 
episode of the Whip Stitch Podcast has been brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. The League of Dressmakers is an online video subscription club with more than 250 videos, downloadable PDFs, and exclusive patterns to help you sew fearlessly. Find us online at League, L-E-A-G-U-E, of Dressmakers.com. The Whip Stitch Podcast is recorded in Atlanta, Georgia, and available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Download and subscribe for future episodes. 